plenty of decks don't get to draw three cards for one mana. Well, I mean, all the good ones do. Hi, I'm Jake. And Matt's not here this week. He had some stuff come up, and he's going to be up in his hometown for a couple days. We didn't get to record on Tuesday because I was just a little too tired. And then uh, today's Wednesday. He had to run up to you know, take care of some stuff. He'll he'll talk about when he gets back next week. It's his story to tell. But what that does mean is I'm going to be running solo this week. So we're still going to go through uh, Legacy and Modern. It will probably be a little shorter because whenever I do these alone, there's usually less to say just because there's less people to say it. Uh, as Matt would like to like me to say, the talent is not in, so I'll have to try and carry the show on my own. But we'll hit these metas, we'll talk about the decks, and we'll see what's going on. There's definitely some really cool spice uh, going on in the Legacy Showcase we're going to talk about, so I'm kind of excited for a couple of those decks. But, you know, uh, recap on what's been going on for me. The biggest thing that, we've been that I've been dealing with is, other than work, being work, which is cool. <laughs> uh, on Call of Duty, as people who listen know I like to play a lot of Call of Duty with my friends, the uh, second season of Call of Duty came out, and with it came Ranked. Now, I don't like playing Ranked things. Um, I'm too competitive, cut and dry. I know that about myself. When I start playing things like, I used to play uh, Overwatch Ranked a lot, and I just get way too into it. It takes a lot of the fun out of it. Uh, the problem is, all of my friends on Call of Duty want to play Ranked. Uh, because, and I will give Ranked this, uh, this bit of credit, is... It pulls a lot of the bullshit of Call of Duty out. There's a lot of things in Call of Duty that I just, I just, it's just dumb, but they're in there because Call of Duty is Call of Duty. Things like throwing knives and riot shields and stuff like that. And ranked does get rid of a lot of that. So that's cool. The problem is it's a lot more like intense. It's a lot more serious. And the players are just better. As you play and you beat people, you have to play against better players and you have to have our matches. And like, I have tried so hard to just set back and become a casual gamer because I just like my soul feels better when I play games casually. Like I like playing Call of Duty. I'm okay at it, but I'm not, I have no aspirations to be good. And then we go into these maps. Like, here's where it started. Here's the first tangent of the night. Uh, when I first started playing Call of Duty, everyone wanted to play Search and Destroy, which I hate. Hated. I don't mind it now, but Search and Destroy is like 6v6. Uh, you have an objective to like blow up the bomb or guard the bomb. And then if you die, you're dead. There's no respawns. And you have like, it's first one to six points. If you win the match, you win a point first to six. I like playing Call of Duty like Team Deathmatch or Conquest or whatever it was called, like Control, where like just respawn, you jump in, run in, try and you know do some stuff, win the point, fight some fights, and then die and respawn. It's fine. Search and Destroy is a lot more like high stakes, where if you die, you know, you're sitting and watching. and Or if it's like it's a 1v2, you got to pull your weight. And I like it when it's a little more casual. Well, here's the thing. Everyone likes to play Search. So I always played Search, even though I... I hate's a strong word, but I really didn't have as much fun. But I got used to it, and I do okay. Uh, I finally got used to playing Search all the time, and now everybody wants to play Ranked, which is just like one step higher on the like, ugh, I don't want to, I don't want to fucking do this. But it's what everyone wants to do, and I'm just having fun hanging out with my friends. So, like, that's what I do now on Call of Duty is I just play Ranked over and over and over. I play as many games as I can handle, and then if I start getting too salty or I start getting too frustrated. I usually have to call the night or take a break and go play some games by myself because, you know, I try, I try not to get too frustrated and start making their game worse because that's not really fair to them. That's what I've been going on. With, that's what I've been dealing with with Call of Duty, which is whatever. The other thing that we did do or that I did was I did go to an RCQ uh, last Saturday with a brand new brew. If you listen to the Patreon episodes, you'll know uh, what I took. 
I will tell you, uh, spoiler alert, I went uh, <laughs> one and three. Did not do very well. Game one, I kind of got kind of got scummed out, but it's OK. Uh, I should have. It, it's my, ultimately my fault. Uh, I would have won, though. Game two, I won handily. And then game three, I got magic, as does happen in magic. And then game four, uh, also just deck, deck kind of fell flat to inconsistencies. So I've learned a lot about how I'm going to adjust that deck. It's a, a rot priest based deck in Pioneer. But most of that's going to be in the Patreon episode. So if you guys want to hear about that, head over to the Patreon, join the Patreon and uh, listen to my recap on how I did and some of the changes I'm going to make. But I don't think anything else really happened. The only thing that's been going on, there's been a bit of a race at the end of the month to uh, kind of wrap up and, you know, do as much as you can, get some stuff done for work. Obviously, we always have, you know, it, there's you try and it, it's on a monthly rotation on how you did and how your, your performance and all blah, blah, blah. So I've been racing for that, trying to do good, trying to take care of my customers. I haven't had any more atrocious days. Um, I did have a couple rough calls, but nothing, nothing too crazy, nothing too disgusting. So it's been, it's, it's been knock on wood, kind of smooth sailing for a little bit, especially today was a pretty good day too. Um, but speaking of smooth sailing and wrapping up this introduction, which is incredibly short, thanks to not having any mat today. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to our patrons. So, uh, if you want to be, or if you want to have some smooth sailing, get some extra content, help support one of the podcasts you enjoy listening to, I'll tell you right now, just listening is a huge support. It really matters. It helps us a lot. The one, Another great support would be recommending it to a friend, getting one more person to listen. We're trying to get those numbers up. You know, we really enjoy making this stuff, and you guys seem to enjoy listening to it. But the people who really enjoy listening to it, join the Patreon. We've got tiers from $1 to, I think, Twenty or thirty dollars with all kind with merch and extra content and access to the Discord and all kinds of fun stuff. You can join the cool kids club like Emperor, who puts our stuff up every week on Reddit. Thank you so much for that. Ramblin' Rogue, Ashley, Eric, Monowolf, Ethan, CJ, Nate, Jameson, Asphalt, Ted, Mumbledown, Rob M, and our newest patron. Thank you very much for joining in. Limit of questions. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for helping contribute to making the podcast better. And why aren't you a part of the Patreon uh, listener? Head on over there, patreon.com forward slash cantrip cartel. Hop on in and come chat with us in the Discord. But that's all I've got. Let's wrap this up and move into modern. So, Matt, how's oh wait, Jake, how's modern looking? And uh, we have a showcase challenge to talk about, which is pretty awesome. First place, completely out of left field. Literally a deck we haven't even seen except for maybe once or twice in the last couple of months in the top eight is Sneak and Show. Now, in fairness, it is piloted by JPA93, who is notorious for being a Sneak and Show master. But nonetheless, brought it home with this showcase challenge. The biggest tech here is going to be two Atraxa in the main, a definite... Um, new addition to the deck that people were talking about. People have been going crazy about Atraxa. And I don't mean like like people on Reddit, people on other podcasts. We made a joke last week about the title. We talked about it two weeks ago. This idea that Atraxa is starting to fight for these Grizzle Brand slots because there's so many situations where it's, it is legitimately better than Grizzle Brand. And I'm going to steal uh, an idea from Phil Gallagher just because he, I think, summed it up really well in, in their podcast, um, Eternal Glory, is like if you're going for the turn one, Grizzlebrand is almost always better. But like once you get past turn one into two, three, and four, Atraxa much more often becomes better, especially with how aggressive Legacy has become, how creature oriented, how 
much your life total is being attacked down. Once you get past that initial, just like slam it, make it happen. Atraxa gets much better because you're just guaranteed a, a relatively wide selection and a decent number of cards, no matter what your life total is. If your life total is at seven. It stabilizes really well, just like Grizzlebrand does, which is what we've talked about. But you're also just guaranteed those cards. Doesn't matter if you have five life, 20 life, 10 life, you're getting those cards no matter what. Whereas Grizzlebrand requires you to pay into it and requires you to possibly play into a lot of things, especially with Delver being so prevalent. If you can force through a show and tell or a sneak attack, the Grizzle Brand coming in, if you've only got five or six life, is just okay. Whereas the Atraxa coming in is going to be getting you those cards and getting you refilled closer to your next fatty. Other than that, I don't see a lot of um, interesting stuff in here for a pretty standard sneak and show list, as far as I can tell. By no means am I a master, but. The only other new card I see is going to be popping into the side. We do have a few Brotherhood's End. One red, red. You can choose one to deal three damage to each creature and each Planeswalker, which is very relevant. Or destroy all artifacts with mana value three or less. That's going to be probably the uh, more important mode there. But it's important to say that both of those modes do a great job of just cleaning up hate pieces for this deck. Things like Aether Sworn Cannonist. Things like um, Grafdigger's Cage or you know just stuff like that. Uh, those cheap artifacts that really impact how you're going to be able to play uh, things like Torpor Orb or um, what else I'm trying to think of stuff, but just that those cheap hate pieces you're going to be dealing with and those cheap hate creatures, things like Thalia, things like uh, uh, like a Containment Priest, things that are going to lock you out of the game. Moving on, second place, another deck that we do not see very often. It's popped up once or twice, haven't seen in a few months. Uh, does have some interesting tech from the new set that I've seen people talking about. This is uh, four color, no, uh, no, what is that? Wow, my red shot off. No green Riddlesmith. So Riddlesmith combo, things uh, like Breakthrough, uh, Containment Construct, Riddlesmith. Uh, picking up a new card with Vindictive Flamestoker. This is a card that I saw and I didn't really pay a lot of credence to. Um, I didn't value it very highly. It definitely has games where it can matter, and I definitely see the potential of this card, but it's one of those that, like, it takes so much to put into it. I don't know if it has a permanent place in Legacy, but it is very strong. So for one red mana, you get a 1-2 Phyrexian Wizard. It says whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put an oil counter on Vindictive Flamestoker. Obviously, in Legacy, we have lots of those non-creature spells for very low mana. But here's the payoff. Six and a red. Sacrifice Flamestoker, discard your hand, and then draw four cards. But this ability costs one less to cast for each oil counter on Vindictive Flamestoker. Now, obviously, in this deck, you're going to be playing it in turns where you go off, and it's just literally a draw four. It's going to be a, a, a effectively a two-mana draw four or a one-mana draw four, which is insane. But I've even seen people talking about it in, like, tempo-y shells or mid-range shells where it is a turn one play. or it, No matter when you play it in the game, it's a very low mana uh, mana investment of one one mana and you're just getting gradual payoff from playing these spells you want to play anyway all these non-creature spells things like bobbles things like brainstorms things like ponder sorts of plowshares force of will dazes obviously you're giving that cantrip suite but even if you're in something like um like storm or well like this is this is basically a storm deck but these like you're going to be casting a lot of non-creature spells what you basically have sitting on the board is a <laughs> is a if, uh, in potentia, 
one mana draw four. And that's something that your opponent has to respect. And realistically, what it means is like when I if I were to see this land across me, because I haven't played against it personally, but I can I know what I'd feel like is like, oh, man, this this has to be answered at some point, And there's no way to answer this like effectively. It's a one mana one two. like I'm never going to be able to go mana positive on this. I'm obviously going to be card card neutral on it. There's so many things in legacy that you have to answer, but you have to answer because the end of the game. Things like Merktide, things like DRC, things like Delver, like uh, things like uh, the Dungeoneer or the uh, the Dungeoneer, the initiative cards where I'm being beaten to death with this or they're gaining just obscene amounts of value. This is obscene value, but it's later. But it doesn't matter because if I can't end the game before it's relevant, then it doesn't it doesn't matter how later it is because like that's going to be a problem. And that's one of those cards where I see that come down. And it's like, that's going to be a problem eventually, no matter what happens. It has very good inevitability, so long as you play it relatively early in the game. Now, the downside to this card is like, it's a pretty bad top deck on turn seven. If the board has stalled out or we've traded resources, I mean, it's going to do things eventually, but it's a very long way away. Now, to offset that, though, is which is kind of interesting. You know, if you do end up playing it on turn four or five or six, presumably you have a couple extra mana, you know, if nothing's going on, if we're just trading back and forth, it doesn't matter. Maybe maybe it costing four isn't as big a deal because you've got the four mana. No one's doing anything. And so we can just, you know, pay four or five mana into it. And I mean, I don't know about you, but if the board stalled out, I'd pay five mana to draw four cards if no one's doing anything. So I kind of get that there. We get into the meat and potatoes of the deck next, which is containment construct riddle smith combo where you know, you're just gaining obscene amounts of card advantage with things like Chrome Mox, LED, Lotus Petal, Bobble, Opal, just these little one or zero mana artifacts. You're you're casting them to generate m- medium value or a little bit of mana, but they're allowing you to draw and discard. Obviously, once you have Containment Priest out, you're just drawing and drawing because the cards you discard, you get to play anyway. And then if you're discarding these zero mana artifacts that you get to play from Exile, they're triggering, trig- uh, triggering your Riddlesmith anyway. So all kinds of obscene value there. And then, you know, you're going to be ending this this stuff off with a grape shot, probably after you've echoed a couple of times, thanks to LED. So a pretty powerful deck that we've seen come in. And if it gets to do its thing, it's incredibly difficult to beat. And it does run to the top very quickly. The problem with this deck is there's definitely several axes to attack it on. And it's also really easy to disrupt because like Riddlesmith and Containment Construct, when you don't have them together, like a lot of these cards just aren't good. And it's not like if you have like when you have Riddlesmith, it's okay to when every one of your artifacts um like loots, which is is fine, but when you're not looting and also getting to draw that card and keep it, <clears throat> that isn't that powerful of an effect realistically. Like just turning through your deck that way without going up on cards isn't really enough. And then you have a lot of cards in here like like Gamble, which is okay, but you know, Gamble's great when you have riddles or when you have containment construct because you get the card no matter what. Uh, but things like breakthrough, breakthrough is not that great if you don't get to have containment construct construct to keep those cards. All these zero mana artifacts that you know produce some amount of mana or whatever, like they're okay if you have Riddlesmith. They're not even that great if you only have containment construct. So it's definitely an A B combo that needs other payoffs to keep it going. So it's it's good. It's a good deck, obviously, but it definitely the reason I, you know, we don't see it more often is it just has too many angles to attack it from because you can attack this deck with uh, lock pieces 
like uh, Deafening Silence or Ether Swarm. Well, Ether Swarm can. This doesn't hit it as hard. But uh, things that are Thalia, like taxing effects, you can hit it really well with removal. Doesn't matter what you got going on if they just throw a lightning bolt at your containment construct. You can also hit it really well with uh, counter spells because, like I said, you counter one or two of these spells and you're going to be in a pretty good shape. And this deck has zero counter magic to a, to fight for that stuff, to try and uh, force stuff to resolve. So a very powerful deck, especially if you're unprepared for it. But once you're prepared for it or when you know what's going on, it just doesn't doesn't carry the oomph that I think this deck needs to be a like mainstay. Up next, we've got a mono blue painter list, just like we saw last week. This is by this isn't uh, this isn't by Dean Solver. This is by uh, El Nano. It's El Nano, El Nano. Uh, but this is that mono blue, um, basically eight cast, but with a painter package thrown in there. So you've already got <clears throat> that. You've already got the Urza Sagas. So you've got an easy way to tutor out those brainstorms. You've got you just make a little bit of room for a couple painter servants. As a really solid, like, I mean, I don't even know if it's plan A or plan B at this point, because, like, Emery, eight cast, just drawing tons of cards, making tons of value, and making huge, huge Urza Saga tokens is a really viable strategy in this deck, especially when you compare those with a, uh, pair them with a Shadow Sphere to make a 10, 10, or 12, 12 unblock, or a trample lifelink. But you also have this, this game winning threat of, you know, go get my, uh, Go get my grindstone, slam a painter, mill your library game's over. So being able to attack on both of those fronts, having a really solid aggro strategy and having a really strong combo strategy, both very, very good ways to try and win a game of Magic. Bumping over to the side, um, not much going on in there that I see is interesting or new. Fourth place, uh, wouldn't be Legacy if we didn't have one or two Is It Delvers in the top eight. This is our Is It Delver list. Uh, we do have one brazen bar in the main, two minor misstep in the main. So that that, that card is really holding on to the slots. It's it's kind of carved out, and then after that, not really much interesting in the main or the side. So I'm not going to stick too long on this. It's it's blue red Delver. It's kind of what it's, or as they say, it's Grixis Tempo without snuff out. <laughs> so not going to spend too much time on that. Fifth place, we've got epic the epic storm. So Tess showing up and putting some numbers in. Unfortunately, it's not Brian Cook this week, uh, but we do have a, uh, it looks like a iteration of his test list, if not his test list. The Orms chant are what made me think it's his, although it has kind of just become Tess tech. So maybe it doesn't mean anything. If I was, if I was, if I was a bigger Brian Cook fan, I would know. I know a lot of his uh, dabbling comes in his mana bases. He does pour over his mana bases quite intensely. And I could probably tell you a little bit better what version this is if I knew the mana bases better, but I don't. I don't see anything just as a noob looking at uh, the Epic Storm. I don't see a lot or anything really interesting or new here. So, yeah, I don't know what to say. Like these are one of those lists like I never know. Like this is like like Doomsday. When I, I don't have a lot to say about these lists because I don't understand them well enough to see the nuance. And... I'm going to stop trying to make things up and move on to Selesnia Initiative. So, and by Selesnia Initiative, I mean Mono White Initiative with Once Upon a Time. And I, it, you can tell it's Mono White Initiative because there's no green sources in the deck. The only thing that can produce green mana in this deck is uh, four Lotus Petal and possibly a Chrome Mox with one of the two 
Once Upon a Time's in the li- in the deck underneath it. In my opinion, Once Upon a Time feels like an excellent card for this deck. I'm not sure why we haven't seen more of it. Like it makes so many hands more keepable when you have, you know, you've got the fast mana, you're just missing one of your good creatures. Well, for zero mana looking five deep, you're probably going to find one of them. So definitely makes sense to include that there. For the creature split this week, we've got three Archon of Ameria, really good stacks piece. Um, just, I mean, if you go first, it's it's setting it's setting your opponent behind so much because the odds they're going to get to go basic land is almost zero. The idea their fetch land's coming in tapped, they're fucked. And then even after that, only getting to play one spell a turn is so strong. After that, we've got Elite Spellbinder. Palace Jailer, White Plume Adventurer, Seasoned Dungeoneer, and Four Solitude. So pretty standard build of Mono White Initiative. Don't see a whole lot uh, moving around in here. Like the Walking Blista being in the side versus the main is kind of interesting, but nothing really crazy going on except for those two Once Upon a Times. I'll take this chance to apologize for my voice. I'm still kind of recovering from a cold, so I'm still a little raspy, but we're going to power through. Uh, These next two lists should go pretty quickly. Seventh place is another Is It Delver list. It looks almost the exact same as the first one. The biggest thing here is we've got two Pyroblasts instead of two minor missteps. I know that we're, it, it's, it, these all kind of blend together, but like we have uh, Unholy Heat instead of uh, Chain Lightning. Very, very, very minor changes. The biggest change of this one is you do have one counterbalance in the main. So you do have more of a grindy strategy in the main, but I mean, barely a nod to it with just one counterbalance. So, you know, someplace you can go in the main, but not really. Pretty standard looking uh, Delver list in the main and the side. Um, definitely nothing here that I'm not used to used to seeing or used to expecting. And then wrapping it up, we've got Mono Blue Painter again or 8-Cast Painter again. Uh, this looks pretty similar to the first place list. Don't see a lot of changes in here. I mean, I'm not sure if they talk to each other or not. Uh, this is by Archon, who we do see quite a bit in the Modern Challenges as well. Uh, biggest change here, though, we do have instead of eight cast, we have six cast and two thought monitor, making room for two Kappa Cannoneer. Actually, I don't know. Did the first list have Psy in it? I think the first list, <clears throat> the first list uh, from third place, sorry, did it have Psy? No. So we didn't even have Psy in the first list either. So this is definitely this eight place list, eighth place list is definitely leaning a lot heavier towards that eight cast list with the uh, Kappa Cannoneers and the size and trimming on some other packages to make um, trimming elsewhere to make room for that painter servant and those two grindstones. So the fir- the third place list had four grindstones. So we take two of those grindstones out, gives us two size, take out two thought monitors, gives us two Kappa Cannoneers. It's a little heavier on that artifact strategy. And then with a uh, juke into the painter, line which makes more sense to me that you'd only run you know one or two grindstones one definitely doesn't feel like enough but two grindstones make sense most of the time you're going to be getting enough urza saga anyway like if you think about having four urza saga and two grindstones you've got six effective grindstones you're going to see one a game pretty reliably obviously you can go up to a full eight where you've got eight grindstone and eight urza saga but six feels like a very good number where you're going to be able to see one you're going to be able to get it when you want it and more importantly you're not going to be forced to draw it when you don't want it. So that wraps up our top eight. Hop over the metagame summary. Uh, is it Delver and Grixis Delver together? We're looking at seven decks. That puts us right around 22% of the overall meta. Uh, Mono White Initiative and Selesnia Initiative puts us at six or about 19% of the meta. So 
we're still at four guys, legacy is still 40% two decks. Don't we still have two 20% meta share decks? Uh, third place with four decks is painter. And then we've got reanimator and cephalid breakfast bringing home with three decks each. Most played cards, force of will, lotus petal, brainstorm, ponder, mistress bobble. You can really see the, uh, the painter coming out there. Uh, mixed with painter and uh, initiative because initiative runs pedals painter runs pedals uh mistress bobble coming in from the delver you can but you can definitely see uh initiative coming in there and painter to take in some of those top slots top creatures dragon race channeler seasoned dungeoneer solitude white plume adventure and delver of secrets it's i mean just the two best decks in legacy right now and top spells force of will lotus petal brainstorm ponder and mistress bobble and in record time, let's bump over to Modern. Let's do a little bit of Modern, and then uh, we'll wrap the episode up. Nice said, guys. I'm sorry. It's always going to be shorter when Matt's not here. I know you guys like longer episodes. But one, with my voice really not being there anyway, and two, just not having Matt to bounce ideas off of. Like, everything I say feels right. And uh, I have noticed also, and here's a tangent to kind of go against what I'm going to say, but it, it's harder for me to think of tangents to go on because so much of my brain is being pointed at talking about the metas, running the show. Like when, when I have to think about everything, my brain has less time to kind of like, I have to dedicate 95% of my brain to it. Whereas when like, when, I, when me and Matt are going back and forth, I can kind of throw like 70% at the, at the show and, and 25, 30% at, at deck ideas and, and interactions and, and, and stories. And, and so I just don't have the, the mental capacity to think of, distractions or think of tangents when I'm running the show on my own. So in a modern first place, a list that I've heard people talking about, uh, definitely playing with the new Atraxa card. I haven't seen it yet is Sasaurus MTG with this Gorio. <clears throat> sorry, Gorio through the breach deck. Um, Atraxa is really making waves in every format as literally just one of the best creatures to reanimate. And it's really interesting to see, this Gorio's Vengeance deck, which we've seen Gorio's Vengeance decks in Legacy or in uh, in Modern, it's not something necessarily new. They usually aren't top tier, but they're there. Except instead of the traditional best creature to get, which is a uh, Grizzlebrand, we've taken out all the Grizzlebrands for for Atraxa. That's our Gorio's Vengeance target. I mean, technically, we could do Emrakul, which Emrakul, or I'm sorry, no, we can't because I'm stupid. Uh, Emrakul is not going to be in the graveyard long enough for you to Gorio's Vengeance it most of the time. There are definitely lines where you can like slam it in the graveyard in response, Gorio's Vengeance it, but you're looking at a much larger mana investment where something like a Jaxa where you can put, you can bin it for now and then come get it later. But it's really, really cool to see a Traxa come in and just kind of breathe life into these reanimator based decks because it is arguably better than Grizzlebrand, especially in modern, where even as intense legacy is right now with um, aggressive creatures and, and tempo and aggro, like modern is a creature format through and through, no doubt about it. Your life total is a huge resource just because you have to use shock lands anyway. So having something come in that's arguably just better than Grizzlebrand in the matchups when you have less life or you have to go for it later, Atraxa fills that slot so well and gives you such a better option for late game card advantage, staple to a fatty that just ends the fucking game sometimes if you can get it out and keep it for any reason. And then, of course, the four Emrakul, which you can Gorio's Vengeance for if you need to. 
And then you also have the sideboard through the breach plan where you're just through the breaching and Emrakul into play or or an Atraxa. That's the thing. Through the breach for both of those cards is devastating. Now, clearly, I would rather through the breach for Emrakul because, you know, you could draw four cards or you could make your opponent sack six permanents. Uh, the six permanents is probably just straight up better. But the other thing to think about is in modern, Emrakul is answerable now. Every deck that can is running four solitudes. Solitude takes care of Emrakul because it's not a spell. It's a creature and with an ability. <clears throat> you threw the Breach and Emrakul into play. They solitude it. Um, you're actually even on cards because you played the through the breach or I mean, there's no other arcane spells really, but you threw the breach into play and you're at the Emrakul out of your hand. They pitched a card to solitude, except you did your thing and you got 15 life for your trouble, which is not enough to survive. Whereas a Traxa, even if they kill it, remove it, exile, it doesn't matter. I'm still drawing four to six cards and that is absolutely enough to stabilize a game. What it usually does is it usually just gets the next one set up and it gets me ready to go again. So really, really amazing to see this Atraxa card come in and just, especially in modern, just fucking boot Grizzlebrand out because it's just better. A 7-7 flying with more keywords and, you know, comes in, draws similar amounts of cards. It's just it's just better in so many instances. To help support this package, you've got oh, um, Oval Chase Daredevil paired with As Asmoranomardid. Asmo Rano Mardig Asmo, and of course the uh, the Underworld Cookbook. So the you know getting the cookbook so you can fill your graveyard with uh, Atraxas and and realistically Emrakul's too. Like Underworld Cookbook, if you're gonna try and Gorio's Vengeance Emrakul Cookbook's the best way to go because it says it, you don't have to pay any man to do it. All you need, I mean, you literally can go you know turn one Cookbook, turn two, discard Emrakul, trigger on the stack, Gorio's Vengeance into play. So that is. Um, it is a really, really solid game plan to go. Another card to go really well with the strategy that, you know, I didn't think about until, until seeing this, um, you don't have red, so you don't want the creature, uh, Voldaren Epicure, but you could use Blood Fountain, one black for an artifact when it ETBs create a blood token. Then you can pay for sacrifice it and return two creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. Uh, realistically, you're not going to be bringing a lot of creatures back to your hand. I mean, you could put your Asmo back in your hand, which is a real thing. Uh, in a world where your Oval Chase gets caught in the graveyard, you could also put that back in your hand. It does allow you to put, you know, if you're already in the game two or three and you got that through the breach in your hand, you can put a Traxa back into your hand to try and make it happen. You know, if you're going to pivot away from that uh, random air strategy. But realistically, what it's here for is a solid turn one play that gets a blood token and gets us a cheap, efficient way to get our tree, our creatures into the graveyard. Attracts it primarily and recall secondarily. Something that made a lot of waves when it came out and never saw any play. One brainstone turns out brainstorm, even if it costs three mana, might still be playable. One mana for an artifact, pay two, uh, tap it, sack it, draw three, put two on top. Brainstone, brainstorm but it costs three mana that you make in payments. And then to help um, support the strategy further, we've got uh, seven discard spells, four thought sees one inquisition, but two collective brutality that can double up as a discard spell for you and your opponent, where you can easily escalate it just to get a tracks in the graveyard. A really strong card. We used to see played all the time in black red reanimator and legacy. 
Uh, for Profane Tutor, a great turn one play just to kind of set yourself up in a couple turns so you can kind of get ready and then make it happen. And then one Bone Shards, really strong removal spell, especially if you already have stuff in your hand, you want discarded anyway. One one black mana for a sorcery, discard a um sorry, destroy target creature or planeswalker, but as an additional cost, you have to sack a creature or discard a card. And you know, when discarding a card, it becomes an asset. This card's pretty fucking insane. So really cool card from MH2. Really love seeing uh, that just straight up power creep on, I think it was Bone Splinters. Uh, a really, really powerful card. And you hop into the sideboard here. Nothing really that interesting, except like I said, those three through the breach, kind of a, kind of flexing into a through the breach plan. If you're, um, if you're going to prepare for all that graveyard hate, the best way to get around it is just shove it into play from hand especially if your opponent doesn't see it coming because like in the main there's um, literally one land that produces red mana in the main. You have one blood crypt very easy to not even touch that the entire game. Your opponent has no idea you've got red mana in your deck and then game two or game three, they load up on graveyard hate and you flex into that through the breach plan and fuck you games over. And then of course there's an Urza sagas package to go with it. Um, obviously, you can get your brainstone, you can get your cookbooks, you can get pithy needle. You got the sideboard as obviously has huge, you know, tons of stuff for Urza Saga, and it's just a strategy. Just it's a mediocre strategy, but if you have to go into the beatdown plan, it definitely changes. <clears throat> Urza Saga pairs so well with Asmo and the Underworld Cookbook because you're going to be potentially having two, three, four, five, six foods lying around. And like we talked about last week, when your Urza Saga is cranking out eight eights and ten tens, that's fucking real. Two twos, three threes, and four fours aren't going to end the game that quickly, but ten tens sure as shit will. So, a really cool deck that I have, I, I kind of knew was in the in the existence, but I haven't seen really come and come and do anything. And here this week, it really showed up. Uh, not just for a modern challenge, but still really showed up and put numbers up. Second place, we've got Indomitable Creativity, kind of the boogeyman combo deck of the format. In my opinion, this really took. Um, this took Living End's place and a little bit of Yogmoth's place, where those were kind of the boogeyman uh, combo decks, and creativity just kind of you know slid in and taken it. Even even in Pioneer with Reed Duke, like create Indominal Creativity is such a broken card when you when you build your deck to it. Like Indominal Creativity is kind of like it's kind of like a companion where it has very steep deck building costs, but if you meet them, the card is almost unbeatable. So really really interesting card to, uh, deck to see. Uh, putting up numbers with how like how well known it is in the format, I guess, except that we haven't really seen it in a couple weeks. So, it's, you know, when those great when those when those combo decks don't get represented enough, people start taking sideboard cards out for them. They start not playing around them and they're going to get you. Realistically, though, nothing in here that's that interesting for Archons or our hits, Archons of Cruelty. Um, don't really see anything between the main or the side that is new or novel. In third place, we've got Mono Green Titan, bust, or, uh, popping out that new Sweet Tech Mycosynth Gardens. I did have a patron uh, remind me, I guess last week when we were talking about Mycosynth Gardens and lines you can take with Dark Depths, um, I had meant to talk about Legacy. Um, if I if I, if I I spoke about it in reference to Modern, Matt and I, I apologize. Obviously, Dark Depths is banned in Modern, but there was some cool, uh, cool strategies with Mycosynth Gardens. Uh, liquid metal coating and dark depths being able to make your dark depths an artifact and then copy it with the gardens making the 2020 then it's going to be happening in modern for sure uh, beyond that this looks like a pretty standard mono green uh amulet titan list titan just got in my opinion a huge bump up in power 
it has actually gotten several huge bumps in power between the Microsynth Gardens, the newest one, and Beseju. Uh, you know, Microsynth Gardens just having access to more amulets, which is the best thing that could happen to Titan, and Beseju, just a land that answers so many threats and so many problems. Uh, but beyond that, don't see anything in the main or side that's particularly novel or interesting. After Mono Green and with Titan, we've got Mono Green drawn. <clears throat> Busting out an oldie but a goodie Thrag Tusk. One five mana Thrag Tusk, five three ETB, gain five life. When it leaves, make a three three. Just a sweet value play. Uh, very castable if you don't have Tron. And obviously, when you do have Tron, just a really good stabilizer. A new addition to the deck that we've seen popping up more and more recently, uh, Cityscape Leveler, 8 mana, 8-8 eight, eight with Trample. When you cast it, or whenever it attacks, you get to destroy a non-land permanent and give them a tap Power Stone. Just, you know, on cast, nuking a thing is great, especially when it has Unearthed. So, like, even if it comes in and dies right away, you still have an... Uh, like, they always have to play around the, like, unearth comes in, attacks, nukes a thing again. Uh, we've got 7 mana Karn, 8 mana Ugin, a couple Olamogs. Uh, worm coil like realistically beyond that it's it's pretty standard green drawn uh we've seen a lot more colorless drawn lately than mono green drawn but mono green drawn is here showing us that it still has play and it still can get shit done the biggest subtraction i'm seeing here that's kind of shocking to me is we don't have four mana karn we just have seven mana karn like four mana karn is such a mainstay in these decks because the ability to play karn tutor a thing from your sideboard and almost always play it because I mean, seven mana, like having access to basically any three mana artifact in your sideboard this turn is such a powerful thing, such a flexible thing. It's crazy to see them, you know, opt out of that. Like we found room for Thrag Tusk, but we didn't find room for, you know, four mana Karn. Next up is that Jeskai Prowess list we've been seeing pop up with Underworld Breach. So I think we've seen it pop up. I know I've talked about it. It's this really cool list abusing Underworld Breach, not necessarily for card advantage, although you can in a pinch, but really abusing Underworld Breach for prowess triggers. Things like Monastery Swift Spear, Soul Scar Mage, Sprite Dragon. Like, like how good is like Lava Dart when it literally becomes Lightning Bolt and you can play it from your graveyard three times this turn? Like, play it from your hand, then play it from your graveyard with Breach, play it from your graveyard with Breach, and then play it. By sacrificing a mountain like i'm gonna pump my squad plus four plus four and dome you for four in the process <clears throat> that's fucking huge things like mutagenic growth things like uh, light up the stage the ability to just abuse these cards from the graveyard getting tons of prowess triggers ton and pairing it with dragon rage channelers refilling that graveyard fueling the underground underworld breach like Underworld Breach saw a huge amount of play when it came out. Everyone knew it was fucking broken in half. And then it kind of just faded away. All the decks that it was really good in either got banned or got hated out. And it slowly filtered back in where it just seems like everybody kind of re-realized that, oh my god, hey, un turns out Yogmoth's will, or uh, yeah, Yogg's will for two mana, and they don't exile afterwards, is, uh, or like, that you can keep going, is pretty fucking strong. So... Not surprised to see these decks kind of re-popping re up in just huge playability and huge numbers. And it's cool to see it come into and put really good numbers up into a challenge because it's such a terrifying proposition to, you know, just and the fail safe for a breach a lot of times is like breach and just bobble three times. Like when Underworld Breach is just uh, Ancestral Recall for two mana. So really strong deck, really good synergies, 
really cool to see that pop, popping up and putting up numbers. Uh, sixth place, definitely nothing novel here. Yogmoth uh, combo with Hapatra. Oh, no, we only have the one blood artist, no Garolf's messenger, and then nothing else really interesting in this main list. Uh, the sideboard is looking pretty standard too. Don't see anything crazy going on in there. So just a nice stock Yog list coming in, putting work in. And when I say nice stock Yog list, I'm not at all pretending this deck is easy to play. Like Yog Moth is one of the more difficult combo decks in uh, modern to to play perfectly. So I'm not pretending the deck's easy to play, but it definitely is very standard, very normal. In seventh place, we've got what's listed as mono red mid range. Actually, mono red Obosh. Um, this is also kind of like like generic Ragavan. So you've got Ragavan, Bone Crusher, Seasoned Pyromancer, Fury, and then <laughs> good old Flame Slash. Just just top tier four damage removal. I'd be really interested to pick. This was uh, flaw flawless, but it's spelled with an X flawless instead of an E. But why do we? What what about Flame Slash? And then extra point of damage makes it better than Lightning Bolt. Because clearly there must be something it's hitting that is really, really important. <clears throat> the only card that immediately comes to mind would be something like Omnath for the four-color matchup. And that might be why it's there, but there's four of them. So I, I'm in fairness, like I guess like you're never getting through a resolved Omnath. Like the best thing you can do is get a Fury out and kill it. So maybe you just needed more pseudo Furies to kill something with four toughness. But or I guess <laughs> we do have four lightning bolts. So the flame slash is just like the next best thing, the next best damage spell. Like, and then you've got four spike field hazards, um, just extra lands that can come in and ping, do a little extra damage. Like, in my opinion, if you're already running spike field hazards and they've got 20 lands, like they've got enough lands. Like, I mean, I think I would rather run the not the light at the stage, but what's that? It's two and a red to deal three damage, but it has spectacle and it becomes lightning bolt. It might be light of the stage, whichever one you, you know what I'm talking about, though, like. It's two and a red to deal three damage to any target, but if you have spectacle, if you've dealt one damage, then it's three damage to anything. Like it's just another lightning bolt with hoops. Relic of Progenitus in the main, obviously there to be dealing with some graveyard uh, graveyard decks because when you're mono red, you've got nothing to do against graveyard, and you literally can't remove anything they're going to be bringing back unless you're casting two or three lightning bolts against it. And then Blood Moon, just to Blood Moon and Fable the Mirror Breaker, just two of the best three mana enchantments you can do right now. And Pioneer in, uh, in modern sideboard, you've got a couple stone brains. That card is insanely good. The ability to just slam a stone brain, go and get take whatever card you're the most worried about or whatever their deck hinges on. Like so many decks in modern right now are so synergy based. They're so based around one thing or two things. Like even if you can't get both things, just getting one of the things and cutting their outs in half is so strong. Not to mention the extra value of seeing their hand. It's pretty freaking good. Um, after that though, two Magus of the Moon, so some extra, some extra Blood Moons to really punish those greedy mana bases, and then nothing else particularly interesting. Sideboard. Wrapping it up, <clears throat> poor Matt's gonna be mad he missed out on talking about Mono Blue Affinity in Modern. Uh, full eight cast Modern list running all the, uh, the good Affinity creatures. In my opinion, one of the best affinity creatures no one talks about, Patchwork Automaton, a two-mana 1-1 one, one with Ward 2, that whenever you cast an artifact spell, gets a plus-one, plus-one counter. Um, that thing be quickly becomes a 5-5-6-6-7-7 five, five, six, six, seven, seven, that has Ward 2, is hard to deal with, and just punches for a fuck-ton. 
uh, but everything you kind of expect to see cranial plating, spring leaf drum, nettle cyst, uh, in a blue affinity list in modern and the sideboard as well. Things like dismember, metallic rebukes, more stone brains, dampening sphere, stuff like that. But let's wrap this up. We're not going to quite get to an hour this week, guys. So again, sorry. We'll have to put, we'll have to record a longer episode next week. Uh, first or, um, most played deck this week, Merktide Regent lists with six decks, uh, 18.75, 19% of the meta. Notably enough, uh, missed out the top eight by one. Merktide did come in ninth place, but didn't touch the top eight. We had Creativity with four decks, total of 12.5%. Then we had Mono Red Midrange, Thopter Combo, Mono Green Tron, and Jeskai Prowess, each bringing it home with two decks in the top 32. Most played cards, Lightning Bolt, Ragavan, Expressive Iteration, Mistress Bobble, Spell Pierce, uh, Top Creatures, Ragavan, Dragon Rage Channeler, Ledger Shredder, Fury, Merktide, Top Spells, Lightning Bolt, Expressive Iteration, Mistress Bobble, Spell Pierce, and Flusterstorm. So as you can tell, my voice is getting worse and worse as the minutes tick by. So I'm going to wrap this episode up. Uh, we'll be back next week with Matt. It'll be a longer episode. I'm sure we'll talk about a bunch of stuff. My voice will be back. But this week, we're going to call it an episode there. Um, one more final shout out to our patrons. Thank you guys for helping support us. Thank you for um, really kind of backing us and standing behind us on the product we make. If you want to join that Patreon, if you want to hop into the Discord with us and chit chat, if you want to get access to some super sweet merch that like you can't get anywhere else. I'm the only one that makes it. I order the, every order I make is custom. Uh, head over to patreon.com forward slash cantrip cartel. If you want to talk to us, send us an email at cantripcartel at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, pretty much anywhere. We're cantrip cartel everywhere. And I don't think I forgot anything. So we'll see you guys next week. Oh, I guess round one, I got paired up against someone that didn't show up. I th guess I'll take my bye. Cool. Welcome, step on in to the Cantrip Cartel. Chicken match, chatting meta games, or slinging some spells, casting elves, sipping on blue soup, and parting some veils. Glimpse of nature once upon a time, they're telling the tale of the elvish visionaries on the wildwood prairies, where the brainstorms of Sophia, some so scary, so legendary. Queer and rangers crowns the sylvan libraries, for when the greens and zenith would parry the clouds and turn their swords into plows. Let them rotate the crops, abundant growth in the ground. Nourish the life from the loam until it flourished unbound. Seeds of innocence burnished all the birch lorian mounds. Gaia's cradle exhaled, carpet of flowers unwound. Birds of paradise sang, tropical islands of sound. Allosaurus, shepherd danced on dinosaurs, stopping grounds. Jake and Matt pondered deeply all this magic they found. Through their visions, thou and serum, they saw only for how to convey these magic stories aloud to the crowds, the masses. Make the voices heard, share the truth, the magic. Through ancestral visions, they felt compelled to draw every single card with the cantrip cartel. Draw cards with the cantrip cartel. Strong cards with the cantrip cartel.